If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in them to Exodus chapter 2. We look at the life, the beginning of Moses. And again, when we look at this entire uh, book, the redemption of the children of Israel. We remember that they went to Egypt to escape a great famine. Pharaoh was so indebted to Joseph that he said, bring your family down. I'll give them the very best land that we have in Egypt. And so after a number of years went by, the Bible says in the preceding chapter, Exodus 1, a new Pharaoh raised up over them did not remember the great things that Joseph had done for the land of Egypt. Now, it is interesting as well as we find in other places in the Bible, it means a Pharaoh of a different kind. The Bible says the Assyrian oppressed the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. And so evidently this was a vassal type of Pharaoh, very possibly in the Assyrians' expansion of their empire. Whatever the case was, we find that there was not the love generated from what um, Joseph did for the children, uh, with the children of Israel for Egypt. And so they began to oppress them. The Bible says they made them slaves. They built a couple of cities, Ramsey and a couple other ones that they used. And so the oppression became heavy upon the children of Israel. Now, a couple of things. Number one, I believe that a lot of times we will be in a place and we may be miserable in that place and you cry out to God and then God does something wonderful. Things may go along for a long time and then God, because he is teaching us patience, teaching us our dependency upon him, then God sends a deliverer. And I believe the deliverer can come in many different ways. Now, again, we remember all the way through the Bible, God used very common things sometimes to solve a very complex problem. God is the master inventor. He's the one that's got wisdom that applies to every aspect of our life. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word now, may your Holy Spirit speak to us that we would understand these things. And when we go through these hard times in our life, we remember your purpose, your divine calling for us. And so we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would cause us to remember these things. Holy Spirit, make these words come alive as they were written by your Spirit. So now may they come and go into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go back one chapter, very last verse. So Pharaoh commanded all the people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. You see, Pharaoh became scared that there was more Israelites now than there were Egyptians, and there would be a conflict, and this would not be a good thing for the Egyptians. So in order to control the population, if it was a baby girl, it could live. If it was a boy who down the road could wield a sword, well, then it was to be put to death. And so this brings us into chapter 2, where we'll start our study this morning. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And so the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, a beautiful child, she hid him three months. 
Now we find this also exemplified and spoke of in Acts chapter 7 as Stephen is giving his history lesson to the Pharisees and those religious people that are about to stone him to death. He gives them a history lesson. Now again, this little baby was born according to what Pharaoh said. It had to be put into the river. The only thing is the mother used some wisdom. Notice what it says. When she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it, laid in it reeds, and, and the Bible says, by the river bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself in the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when they saw of the little ark among the reeds, she sent her maids to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw a child. Behold, the baby was crying. And so when he had compassion on him, they said, This is one of the Hebrew children. So his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And so the maiden went and called the child's mother. This is, I believe, God's... um, welfare program. (laughs) Do you catch what's going on here? Put the child in the river. So she did. The only difference is she added a boat to it. And as she puts the little baby in the boat, Moses in the boat, as he's floating down, we know that the handmaidens of Pharaoh's daughter saw the little baby in the boat, went out, retrieved it. Miriam saw this, and so she came up and she said, Would you like me to go find a Hebrew mother to take care of the child for you? She said, That's a great idea. Go. And so she goes and gets Moses' mom. Amazing how God does things. God actually provided now for Moses at the hand of Egypt to take care of him. And so the child grew. And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Now this is very significant. She became her son. We don't know all the details why this was, but we know in the New Testament, the Bible says that Moses eventually refused to call her his mother. Now why is this? Well, this is why many people believe Moses was in line for the throne. He was in line to be Pharaoh, the next Pharaoh. And there was some chiding between the firstborn son of Pharaoh, that remember who died in the plagues. And then there was also Moses, the daughter's son as well. Now she adopted him. So uh, the the old um, Cecil B. DeMille, Moses, and how it shows the two sons uh, chiding with one another who was going to be the Pharaoh and all. There's truth to that. That that actually he had a, a legal right to the throne, Moses did. Now what is amazing to me here is that a lot of people in the world today say, do what's going to advance you. Do what's best for you. But if you're really going to be a child of God, you want to do what's best for the kingdom of God. 
There's always self-exhortation. And we as Christians need to be extremely careful of that because self-exhortation will never bring you to the path of God. Because remember, Jesus said, the way up is the way down. If you want to be great among you, be the servant of all. Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, you're not washing my feet, Jesus. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, Peter... You have no part of me. You don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will later on. That's what really greatness is in God's kingdom. Because when you abase yourself or you humble yourself, the Bible says then God lifts you up. You don't have to do that yourself. And what is really amazing here, she called Moses her son, but down the road, Moses refused to be called her son. Now, you look at that for a minute again. This would be every person's dream. That all of a sudden, now you're promoted. And at least if you're not Pharaoh, you're going to be prime minister. And if you go back, this is what basically Joseph was in advising Pharaoh concerning the dream that he had to avert the, the, the uh, famine that was to come upon the land. So you have all these different things going on. Hey, man, you've made it. You're at the top. You're, if you're not number one, you're going to be number two. And that's pretty good. Or is it? You see, you can be number one or number two in the world. The Bible says, what is a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? But yeah, but I got to watch out for number one. If you're a Christian here today, do you know who watches out for you? God does. And nothing happens to you as a Christian by accident. There are no accidentals for a Christian's life. I genuinely believe that. It doesn't, it isn't, have it has anything to do with luck whatsoever. It's divine providence. And the first thing we need to do when we come to Christ is we need to first of all realize our name is written in the book of life. I'm just the passing through this world. I have an internal place that God has prepared for me, as it says in John 14. That's where I'm going to go. He goes to prepare a place for us. He's going to come again and take us and there we'll be with him. I have to then also realize nothing happens to me as a Christian by accident. I look at that sometimes and I go, only God can fix this mess in my life. But you know what? That's what he specializes in. You know, there's things in our lives that automatically go out of our control. You may be styling, man. You may be Gucci. You may have it all. And then you go to the doctor because you got a little bump on your arm. And the doctor says, hey... You've got a melanoma here. You've got a cancer here. And we're going to check this out. I remember a story one time, true story about a girl who went to our church. She went and she had a little black dot on her leg, just a little black dot. And she went in and she said, this is kind of weird looking. And the doctor says, oh, he says, yeah, we'll remove it. And so uh, they went through and it was it was a melanoma. And she they put her under when she said, when I woke up, half my leg was missing. She said they had just cut away so much of the meat. That little dot had roots that completely wrapped around her bone. We can be styling one day. We can have the world by the tail one day. And the next day, we can find ourselves at the bottom and even life-threatening things. Hey, listen, as a Christian, you can rest in him. Now, I'll tell you something. If I had to stay up and worry about all the things I need to worry about, I would never sleep. 
Because there's so many things to think about, so many what-ifs that are out there I don't have an answer for. But God is the one that goes before us, as the Bible says, and makes the crooked places straight. If you don't have God as your Lord today, you are vulnerable to whatever comes your way to take you out. And like I say, tomorrow, I don't care whether you're 15, I don't care whether you're 95, tomorrow's not promised to any of us how important it is then that we trust somebody bigger than tomorrow. That's your God. Nothing comes to you by accident. Now, verse 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. Now, most people believe that at this point, Moses was 40 years old when he was fully grown, schooled by the best schools that Egypt had at the time. He was educated. He was not a man of clear speech, but yet he could talk to God. He was a person that was recognized by the world, but dies alone. He's an interesting person in the Bible, this Moses. Because he's a person who God singled out and used, and God called him the most meekest man that ever lived. Now remember, meek is not weak. Meek is the ability to follow orders and do what's right in spite of what everybody else would think. He says, when he was grown, he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So we looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Wow. Um, something in Moses began to churn. He was a deliverer. And you know, it's interesting, when he saw the oppression of the people, his people, he began to inject himself into the injustice. Now, friends, I'll tell you something. You as a Christian... You're going to find this as well. When you see things that aren't right, you will find God will call upon you to do that. Some people say, well, how do I know God's will for my life? What do you see that's wrong? Is it a Dixie cup that's in the, that's in the uh, foyer that everybody's stepping over? And you go, gee, that doesn't belong there. I'll pick that up and put it in the trash. Do you know obedience begins small and grows? And I really believe that, again, when we see things that are not right, and I don't care whether it's a physical issue, a spiritual issue, whatever it might be, I believe God interjects his people, all of us, into a situation that says, hey, we need to fix this. If murdering 60 million aborted babies in America since Roe versus Wade, as an example isn't enough to cause us to become aware of murder and injustice for these poor children. That 60 million people that would be having jobs right now, paying taxes, and your retirement are gone because of this. Yeah, we interject ourselves. We say, hey, support candidates that are against abortion. These are things where we interject ourselves because, again, I believe we are saved for a reason. In other words, put feet to your faith. Well, God, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you as we have a whole world around us that's perishing? I would simply say, God, open my eyes to the needs that you want me to be a part of. 
Moses saw an injustice. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew to the point where he interjected himself. Now, evidently, this word beating here is much more than just, hey, he was whipping him, you know, with a fly swatter, okay? He was beating him like to beat him to death. And Moses said, that ain't right, and he interjects himself into this particular picture. Now, some people might say, well, he killed him and buried him in the sand. Some people say, well, this is dead works. Probably. But nevertheless, he was interjecting himself into this situation. Now, he went out the second day. Now, this isn't a year later, five years later. This is the very next day he goes out to see his people again. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting and said to one another who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill us as you did the Egyptian yesterday? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Wow. Now you would think the children of Israel would have said, hey, we got a guy in Moses here we can trust. Do you know what he did yesterday? He cacked an Egyptian that was beating Tom and and buried him in the sand. And hey, next time Moses comes around, he's our hero. No, they didn't do that. In fact, Stephen cites this in in, uh, Acts chapter 7 to the Sanhedrin, that you Jewish people, you miss it every time the first time. God sent your deliverer. You are crying out to God. God heard their cries. They were slaves in Egypt. God save us. God sends Moses on the scene to help them. Yay! No. What are you going to do? Kill us like you'd kill the Egyptian yesterday? Moses goes, I got to get out of here. The red light, come on. The blue lights are flashing. Hey, you're wanted by the FBI. Well, that's what happened. He says, I know. Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this, by the way, gossip, rumors travel. When Pharaoh heard of it, that tells me that those very people who Moses would eventually deliver from the hand of Pharaoh are the very ones that knocked him off. Would you really want to save a group of people like this? Really? Oh, really? You said that about me? See ya. Keep building your bricks. Bye. Isn't it weird how sometimes the very people we try to help are the very people that fight you the most? Years ago when CSN was being started, something really interesting It wasn't the problems from the FCC or county planning and zoning. The biggest enemy of CSN was the church. Go figure. You look at it and say, I don't even want to have anything to do with anybody. Well, friends, that's the way it is. Jesus said a man's enemies are those of his own household. What does that say? That says that you're not really prepared to fight your own in doing something for God. Now he's having to fight the children of Israel. Hey, I gave you 
a deliverer, Moses, who now you're fighting, who would have delivered you 40 years before he came back the second time. Moses now gets out of Dodge. He's 40 years old. He has all the pomp and splendor in line for the throne. He kills an Egyptian, which would be traitor. That would be considered a traitor. He knows he's found out and he leaves. He doesn't come back to Egypt for 40 years. They stayed in slavery for 40 extra years because they refused to see their deliverer. I wonder today how many people stay in their sin because they refuse to see what Jesus Christ has done for them. Your deliverance is now. Hey, you can enjoy the goodness of God today. Not five years from now, not 10 years from now, right now. Well, what do we do? Well, we're going to find this as we get a little bit farther up. And one of the astounding remarks as we get up here where God brings the plagues through Moses' hand upon the land of Egypt, where Moses says, shall I take away the frogs? I think it was the fifth plague. And um, Pharaoh said, come back tomorrow. Really? Another night with the frogs. In other words, your deliverance is right now, Pharaoh, but you don't want it. I'm really amazed how many times people God offers deliverance to, but we don't want it. God sent Moses to the children of Israel. Here's your deliverer. And instead of them extolling him and embracing him, they turn it and even tell Pharaoh what Moses did. Nobody else knew except the Jewish people. The Jewish people are who marked Moses, who, who uh, told Pharaoh what Moses had done. So he heard the matter, he sought to kill him. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. <laughs> I, I ever done that? You just, all this stuff's going on and you just run and you just sat down. Woo, man, that was a crazy experience. By the way, I think it's interesting. Moses, the Bible says, lived 120 years. 40 years cruising around in the chariots. Yeah, hi. You ever notice that at the county fair, the 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 rodeo queens and they have a little hand wave like this as they ride i always wondered about that i wondered if people that in those days when they were riding the chariots were doing this as they would go down the aisle anyway cruising around nice clothes great food i'm a somebody okay and then He kills the Egyptian. Now he leaves and he's a what? Nobody. In fact, he's actually wanted by the Egyptian government. He's a no one. He went from someone being a somebody for 40 years to now a nobody for 40 years. On the backside of the wilderness in a place called Midian. This is where he ends up. For 40 years. Now what's really interesting to me as I look at this. For 40 years, Moses thought he was a somebody. For the next 40 years, 
God taught him and showed him he was a nobody. And for the next 40 years of his life, God showed Moses what God does with nobodies. And became the greatest deliverer of humans, probably in recorded history. So he says, he sat down by a well. Now, the priests of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw water, and they filled their troughs with water and their flock, and their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Now, they came to Raoul, their father, And he said, how is it that you have come so soon today to his daughters? And they said, well, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, where is he? Uh, Why have you not just left the man? Call him that he may eat bread with us. This guy's got seven daughters. Here's a single guy. I'm sure he wanted him to come over to his house. And so Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zephorah his daughter to Moses, literally as a wife. It is interesting here that in Moses, there is that of wanting to be a helper, a deliverer. And by the way, I believe as a Christian, you always want to notice those tendencies that God puts in you. I think this is a lot of times where we find uh, the calling of God for our life. In other words, what is it that seems to attract you? Or what is it that you are have a passion for that you'll stand up for? In other words, you find the injustice that was done against the children of Israel. Moses kills the Egyptian. Then you find the injustice of the shepherds coming and trying to chase away these daughters from the well. He stands up for them. You begin to see a pattern in Moses' life. And I believe those patterns we find in our own personal life. Now, very quickly, I'll give you a little insight here. Because, and only for this reason. Because we live in an area, if you're Mormon here this morning, uh, I, I don't wish to offend anybody here. I want to give you a little bit of understanding from your own teaching. This is where the problems come in with Mormonism. Because this is what the Book of Mormon is about. Now, I never thought I'd ever be telling anybody this, but you need to know. So when you talk to somebody... You understand where they're coming from. And since we have such an area that's inundated with Mormonism, that we can talk intelligently to them without offending them. Now, now the Bible says it's impossible that offenses will come. Understand that. But I want to be sure they're offended at the gospel, not at me or my attitude. The Bible tells us that Moses was brought down to Midian for 40 years. Well, this is where the Book of Mormon comes in, that God would never use a murderer to deliver his people. And so therefore, when the children of Israel left Egypt, um, 
they followed a guy named Jared. The Jaredites went down by the, uh, <clears throat> by the delta there in Egypt and they got in barges and they were blown by a furious wind because God wouldn't uh, use Moses because he was a murderer. So they then came over to uh, they landed over in the South United States uh, and built the house of Nauvoo and all this different thing. And all the American Indians are descendants of the Jews. Problem? DNA blows it apart. The American Indians are descendants of Asians. This is very clear. It's not my word against theirs. It's provable in a court of law. They are not Jews, period. Does God use people in spite of their failures? Yes or no? Absolutely. Look at the failures of King David with Bathsheba and her uh, her husband and all the different things that went on there. Did God still use David? Yes, he still used David. Did God still use Peter after Peter denied the Lord three times and cussed and swore even to a servant girl? I don't know the man. Jesus continued to use Peter. In fact, as we've often heard, God is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance. So the whole idea that you find behind these other religions and behind these other books is in some way God won't use frailty in man. And the truth of the matter is he does. He does. It wouldn't be much of a God that ain't bigger than the things that you did wrong. And so God does that. And God wasn't done with Moses, contrary to what the other religions say in the world. And the Bible here tells us that he gave Zephora to Moses for a wife. This is interesting. There were seven daughters, and one of them is a Gentile. You can think about that on your own a little bit. Here's Moses taking a Gentile wife. Now, how many times do you hear uh, the children of Israel chiding with Jesus, saying, Moses taught us, or um, Abraham taught us, but Moses taught us. And yet Moses was married to a Gentile. Now, again, realizing that Gentiles were considered to be unclean, and you would have nothing to do with them, in fact, uh, historians tell us, Josephus and other writers say that if you were downtown in the marketplace and the wind was slightly blowing and your, and your robe was to flip open and you were to touch a Gentile, you would have to go to the, to the, the priest and seek forgiveness because you touched an unclean thing. Yet Moses was married to a Gentile. Friends, this is important. Because if what we do then disqualifies us from what God has called us to do, Moses at this point would have been disqualified. But that isn't what happened, is it? You see, this is great hope for you and me in this regard. I look at my life sometimes and go, God, I've blown it. You'll never use me again. And God says, we've only just begun. Isn't that great to know? That the God you serve is bigger than the things that you've done wrong bigger than the things that people have done to you 
bigger than your failures? A lot of times the devil uses those things in our lives to discredit us. And by the way, there's a reason why. Because if the devil can discredit his work in your life, he can discredit the things you will do in your life. You've got to remember that. The devil's very, very clever. And if he doesn't get away with going to God, the Bible says, who accuses the brethren day and night. The Bible says that's what he does. Did you see what they did today? Did you see what they did today? Did you see what they did today? And God says, I don't want to hear it. They're my child. They're forgiven. Satan goes away mad, comes down, and starts going at you. Do you know what you did yesterday? Do you know what you did a week ago? Do you know what you did five years ago? We go, yeah, I know. I just guess I'll go eat worms. No, that's what the devil wants. To put you down, to paralyze you, so that you will not dare try to do anything for God. That's the way it works. Because if he doesn't get anywhere presenting our past to God, who doesn't hear it, who accuses the brethren day and night, well, I'll just go down and accuse them to themselves. Do you know why? You know why? Because we're guilty. Can the devil look at me and say, do you know what you did five years ago? Yeah, I know what I did five years ago. Um, But how do you see yourself? See, see, we've got to change the way we look at ourselves Not from the idea and the aspect of self-realization or positive thinking or something. But I need to see myself, you need to see yourself the way God sees you. For this reason, Christ died. And whether it's Moses killing Egyptian and God not being done with Moses, whatever you did this week, last week, a year ago, five, ten, maybe going back even, maybe in your teen years. I I just want to tell you, that's a lie of the devil. Because he wants to paralyze you so you will not look at a risen Savior, but you will look at your own failure. God's got to readjust our eyes. You know, we go to the doctor and you sit in the chair and they got this big thing with all these different lenses. They go click, 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 click. Okay, what do you see now? What do you see now? Click, click, click. Oh, I see real good now. Okay, well, hold it right there. Isn't it embarrassing when you go to get your driver's license and you look in that little thing and you're going, huh, what, what is that? And you read line four, uh, read line five, uh, read line six, oh, D-E-F-P-O, you know, I mean, we start reading it. It's embarrassing when you don't see good. Well, the thing is, we don't see good because we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We see ourselves in our failures oftentimes. The Bible says, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And we are a new creature in Christ every single day. We need to remember that. Otherwise, it will paralyze you from moving forward. I'm not saying there isn't times that we all don't leave and sat down by a well. But by the way, when we sat down by a well, I believe that's where God ministers to us. In fact, a matter of fact, if you look at how many instances happened by a well in the Bible, you will be amazed. Whether it's, whether it's the woman at the well, remember that? 
Here is an example where he meets eventually his wife. You find many other instances the same way through the Bible where they meet at the watering hole. Well, again, when we understand God ain't done with us yet, no matter what has been in our past. So she bore him a son, called his name Gersom. I have been a stranger in a foreign land. That's what his name means. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. I think this is really amazing here for a couple of reasons. One, God had already sent him a deliverer and they rejected him. And then they cry out again, God, send us a deliverer. And you know what? God heard him. Isn't that, doesn't that kind of strike you differently? Doesn't that tell you about the mercy of God that, hey, I sent you a deliverer, you blew it, shut up, go away. He didn't do that. I sent you a deliverer, you rejected him. Now you're crying out again, I heard you again. So God heard their groanings. And God remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Wow, the love of God. You know, I had a person come to me one time, and they said, well, why was God such a God of love in the New Testament, and such a God of uh, of fire and brimstone and judgment in the Old Testament? Well, God changed. No, God didn't change. He was a God of love in the Old Testament, and he's a God of love in the New Testament. He's a God of vengeance in the Old Testament, but he's also a God of vengeance in the New Testament. And especially when you read the book of Revelation, you see that Jesus is not petting the lambs in the picture in the Christian bookstore, but the Bible says he comes back with a sword drawn, and the Bible says the blood is as high as the horse's bridle. Wow, that's a picture you don't usually see, but it's true. You see, God's eternally angry at sin, but he's also eternally in love with his creation, which is us. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you, don't let the things of your past hurt you. But Mike, they left such a deep cut in my soul. I know, I know. I I, I understand that, I, I, I know. But you know what? This is where healing from God comes. This is why I believe communion is so important. Where where the Bible talks about by his stripes we are healed. Peter saying that, quoting out of the Old Testament, by his stripes we're healed. I I need healing. Because some of those cuts, friends, in my life have been pretty deep. Even as a Christian. But I want you to know that God brings healing to those things that would normally stop you or cause you to give up or just go sit by a well. I ain't moving. And God says, no, you can sit down by a well for a a bit, but you're going to get back up again and you're going to be about your father's business. You know, I think about people in my life that have been such an encouragement. People that come along and say, oh, Mike, God's not done with you yet. I go, really? 
You see, they see you differently than you see yourself. That's one of the reasons why I think church is important, because people around you are going to see you differently. It's really a maze uh, for me as a pastor, because I know everybody here as Christians, you know, pretty much, you know. And then sometimes, like around the donut table, I'll, I'll hear people talk about their past before they came to Christ. Oh, I was a murderer, and I was a thief, and I was this, and I was that. And I'm going, oh, wow. I had no idea. I always know them as a great Christian that has not sinned, that is good, because I didn't know about their past. But even greater than that, I didn't care about their past. Because we all have one. You see, that's why it's important we as Christians know, as Paul says, no man after the flesh. But we know him after the Spirit. That's what allows us to grow in God. That's what allows us to love one another. And so, as we see Moses now, having a wife, having kids... God restoring him from what he was. Now we find these preparations that go into Moses' life. Forty years on the backside of the wilderness, being a nobody. But you know, in those times, we still are learning. And I believe sometimes when we're alone with God, that's when we learn the most. Because the Bible says it's in the still, small voice we hear God. Not in the loud thunderings and in the earthquakes and all the other stuff as it was with Elijah. It's in the still, small voice that we hear God. And for 40 years on the backside of the wilderness, God begins to teach Moses what he's going to do for the next 40 years of his life. I don't know where you're at in your life with the Lord right now. You you may be in that learning process. You may be in that that training atmosphere or mode that you're in. You may be active in what God wants you to do. But nevertheless, whatever it is that God wants you to do, I know that he's going to empower you and he's going to put people around you to do that. Now, a lot of times, friends, you know, I'm, I'm... wanting to do this thing for God. I don't know how God's going to do it. And so, you know, I'm just looking for Mr. Moneybags to walk in and help me do what I'm supposed to do for God. Do you know what I found is more important than all of that? It's just the friend in Christ that comes up and says, hey, you're going to make it. Because I need to be reminded. Do you know why? Because I forget. I, 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 I don't want to forget. In fact, I think back in my life when, when all the things that I've asked God to get me through and God's got me through a lot of hard things in my life. And, and I think about all those things that God's got me through and he always delivered me out of every one of them as regular as clockwork. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank until the next time I have a trial. And then I go, God, where are you? You ever notice that? We, 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 we're going, okay, God, I, I got this down. This is good. This is going to work. This is great. It doesn't happen the way I think. Where are you, God? You forgot me. Oh, no. Uh, go sit by a well someplace. It's just sometimes being in church where someone says, hey, you've been a blessing. Hey, you're going to make it. Hey, you're not in this alone. Hey, whatever you're doing, I'll come and help you. Man, I'll tell you, that changes everything. 
just want to encourage you this morning, first, as a Christian, you're not in this alone. you got a big God in heaven that loves you. Your past does not matter because God's callings and his elections, as the word of God says, are sure. I don't believe that we will ever escape God's loving hand in our life. And to just say, okay, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do for you, I'll do it. Let me tell you, that's where the miracles are. That's where you see God multiply the loaves and fishes. That's where you see people walking on the water. That's where you, because it's when you're involved in what God wants you to do, that's where the power of God is. You see, the calling of God in your life is a supernatural calling, which requires supernatural gifts that are not from yourself or generated by others. It comes from God, but God uses others to bring that encouragement. May you be about your father's business. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you're in trouble. That's just all there is to it. You're you're in your sins. You're you're, you're stymied. You, you, You can't receive a message from God because your sins are blocking you. You can't move forward you can't move backwards because you know there's no hope there. And so you, you, you've got to escape, man. You've got to get drunk. You've got to get loaded. You've got to get stoned. You've got to do whatever you've got to do to escape you because you are the problem. Isn't that the truth? Haven't we found out that we create most of our own problems? So what do we do then? The Bible says, if we'll repent, that means turn away from defining life my way, living life my way and saying, okay, God, I realize that I'm here for a bigger purpose than to just exist every day. And so from this day forward, I'm going to live for you. I repent of the silly way that I have lived. I don't want a box of trophies to be sold for a dollar at a yard sale when I'm dead. I want God to look at every one of us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did great. And it, your, your, your life works will not be in a trophy sold for a quarter. Your life work will be rewarded eternally. Wow. That's good news, man. I want to be about daddy's business. This morning, as we look at Moses, you're going to find when we go into chapter 3, How God begins to use Moses in such an unbelievable way that not even Moses has the confidence in himself to do what he believes God wants him to do. And God even met that criteria by sending Aaron, his brother, to him. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we're going to pray. And you can ask God to forgive your sins to repent from your ways, to accept Christ, not only for what he did for you on the cross, but a living Savior that's got a new purpose for your life every day and eternal life for you. We're going to pray right now. And if you need to pray, pray and let God do what he wants to do in your life. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I repent of the foolish way I have lived my life. And so now I commit the rest of my life into your hands. Make me the best I can be for you. Thank you for eternal life. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. 
but now lives for me every day. And so I want to be about your purpose. Thank you for writing my name in your book of life. I never have to be scared of dying ever again. And so, Lord, I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that. Begins with a prayer. God shows you your whole life is goodness. There's a point in our life where we say, okay, I'm not going to go down the stupid road I've been on anymore. I'm going to change. That's what it means. That's what repentance means. Turning 180 degrees from the way you walk, walk the other way. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. The Bible says that Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Start reading in the book of John chapter 3 and just listen to the voice of Jesus. That's going to do more good for you. How Jesus addressed his friends, how Jesus addressed his enemies, that's going to help so much in living your life every day for him. We'll have a baptism and we'll have a sign-up if you need to be baptized. We'll have that uh, out again. And, and so we want to encourage you to get baptized. And then be in fellowship. You know, God just loves you and has put people around you. I, I, I look back at my life, I would have never made it without the fellowship of the saints. And I'm not saying a big gang. I'm just saying some good, dear Christian friends that, were, that stuck closer than a brother or a sister would have to me to encourage me to be about and do what God's called me to do. I just want to encourage all of you today, be about your daddy's business. Great is your reward in heaven. And if you're a new Christian here today, welcome to God's family. You know, as we, as we uh, close the service, we always have time to pray for one another. And if there's something on your heart weighing you down, maybe you need a healing touch, maybe you just want to thank the Lord for something he did this week. That's why we, we pray for one another at the end of the service. Because he loves us. So let God be God in your life. God's not done with you yet. He's only started. Father, for every person listening in this room today, listening by radio around the world on the internet, just pray that you just reach your hand out to them and bless them and heal them. Lord, for those who have heavy hearts, God, may you lift them up. Lord, those that need a healing touch, extend your hand, please, Lord, one who heals to them. And Lord, for us, we just ask you, help us be about your business in these days that we live in. And so, Lord, may you rest your hand on every person. In Jesus' name, amen.